Is this the year you want to grow your business? Do you want to expand your team? Build a new office? Hey, it's Tug, and I want to tell you about First Liberty Building and Loan. Aren't you exhausted by going to lenders, building a relationship, and a week later, you're dealing with a new person? You won't have to with First Liberty Building and Loan. The Frost family has been helping businesses grow since the 90s, and they can help you too. They know the patterns, they know the ebbs and flows, and they know business. Now the Frost family wants to know you. FirstLibertyGA.com. Buying a building, building a building, buying a franchise, or expanding. Reach out and spend 10 minutes with them. See if you're a fit for them and if they're a fit for you. FirstLibertyGA.com. By the way, if you're a young banker and you want to work with a team that's faith-friendly with a culture of excellence, First Liberty might be a good match. Reach out to First Liberty Building and Loan at FirstLibertyGA.com. That's FirstLibertyGA.com. Southern Sports Today proudly presents the Chuck Oliver Show. It's an inside look at everything college football. Now live from Atlanta, Georgia, it's time to talk college football with the reigning king of college football, Chuck Oliver, on Southern Sports Today. Last night proved all the naysayers wrong. In the moment. It is Chuck Oliver Show on a Tuesday. Hope everybody's enjoying your Tuesday, wherever it is you are listening to the program. Might be in Valdosta. Might be in Mobile. Anywhere in Mississippi. My gosh, we're on in Baton Rouge. Map of the Southeast. Scatter some chicken feed out there. Just about anywhere a piece of it lands. We're going to have an affiliate. Thank you all so much for that as we enter the new year. When I say last night proved all the naysayers wrong, naysayers about the current status and what's ahead for college football. When I say that last night proved all the naysayers wrong who look at college football and say it's ruined, it's been professionalized, it's been all kinds of things like that. Um, and they are there are legitimate concerns about the nf excuse me about college football becoming too nfl do you know why what has happened every time there has been a challenged league to the nfl it gets obliterated you don't want to play a version of nfl football you don't want to play a version of anything nfl you want to do your thing because you get crushed if you do a version of anything the nfl so the naysayers, oh, it's going more pro, and we have free agency, and it's all about money, and nobody cares, and it's not worth watching, and all the naysayers give me the laundry list. You know what I saw last night? Basically, I'm going to say for free, Heath, what's your monthly cable bill? Can I? I we pay like 140 a month. What do you pay? Oh, geez. We've got uh, the YouTube TV, and the wife does it, so I don't know, but I know it's not, it's not triple digits. I so it might be like 60 a month for you. That would be a roughly my guess. Okay, so he pays like $2 a day. I pay like $4 a day, something like that. Can we call that free, though? It's basically free. If it's $2 a day, it's free. For free, I sat down yesterday, and I got... Oh, let me count the hours. About seven and a half hours of unbelievable drama and EKG and pitfalls and her heroic in the sporting sense. I had a moment where I looked at Alabama and I was like, what are you planning to do with those timeouts? And I normally don't do that. 
to all the naysayers who said it wasn't possible for college football to survive its current era of greed and expansion. And I'm going to use another word. You know what's actually going on in college football? Consolidation. Consolidating who can actually compete. All of that's in the works and it's in the background. You know what I had last night for free on my turn on my TV? Quote, for free. I got seven plus hours of amazing I don't even want to say competitive football. One in overtime and one on the final play. And I've got a national championship game now with Michigan. Give them credit. I was wrong about that. I thought when, in fact, I said it. You know who really got screwed? Wasn't Florida State. Michigan got screwed. I have no idea about the physical hangover of playing Alabama now. I'm sure it's considerable. I know it's not what it was. What I got against the backdrop of how rotten the game is right now, an unbelievable day of college football, and I can't wait for the national championship game. Do you know who else lost a little bit? Didn't Houston lose? Hey, didn't Houston lose a little bit? Houston, uh, Texas not coming to town, UW instead? Maybe, but I think you probably get more more fans traveling into town on short notice, probably, more hotel rooms booked. Yeah, You'll get more people from distances out of town. If Texas is in a national championship game in Houston, let me all transparent. Ticket brokers lost. I know that much. Yeah, and complete transparency. I just happened to pull out of the drawer U of H hoodie today. I was born in Houston. I love Houston. Still got folks back yonder. There's not much of a person. If you're in Houston for something, you're in a city with a nice Hilton. Like, that's probably, or a nice Hyatt. Like, it's Houston does not have the personality of a Miami, a New Orleans, uh, like you're in Glendale. You just didn't go as far. I think Houston needed the gig. Houston needed the party. They needed to goose it a little bit. And so UW, who's still undefeated, who most of us thought, oh, the second go round against Bo Nix, you shouldn't even one first go round. Mm. Seems we all doubted the guy. How impossible is this, by the way? The same guy led NCAA passing in total yards the past two seasons, and he was at a Power 5 school. He was a transfer and led the NCAA in passing yards each of the past two seasons, and we couldn't get enough of doubting him. Not only is that true, Chuck, but remember, this is the same guy that Jeremy Pruitt's staff decided they didn't want at Tennessee. Oh, God. This was a player who was committed to the old staff, wanted to go to Tennessee, yes. and the Pruitt staff said, nah, you're so, not for us, brother. He goes to Bloomington, does his thing as a freshman, and has a bunch of interceptions and big plays, and actually plays against Tennessee in a bowl game. So we all know he's at UW, and then Penix just puts on a show and he does, does it again, man. He led the NCAA in passing yards in consecutive seasons. That's just not going to happen. It's for the same school. And we all looked at him and was like, yeah, but Bo Nix is going to beat you. Bo Nix is great. But UW won. And then again, last night, UW, same thing. So you get a national championship game. And if you had Alabama coming to town instead of Michigan, more of a party. You had Texas coming to town instead of UW, more of a party. As it is, you have a national championship game, which even in the antiseptic uh, setting of last year's game in Los Angeles in a three-sided stadium. Is that accurate? Like, they don't have a wall on one side, and so it started raining, like, the two days that it rains in, Jan- in, in in Los Angeles. One of them was a day in January, and it rained sideways into the game. Correct. 
So that's a thing now. Save money on the stadium. Just don't build the fourth wall. Um, even in Los Angeles, with TCU and Georgia, do you know what you have? You had kind of a party, kind of, but it was more of just a big sporting event. In Glendale, you had Oregon, and I heard folks, I didn't make it that year. Didn't have the money. I, it was expensive. $5,000, $4,000 to go to a football game. I didn't have the money. Um there was an Auburn home game in the desert back in 2011. That's what it looked like in the national championship game against Oregon. It looked like an Auburn home game. Um, it, it wasn't a party. It was a big sporting event that was played somewhere else, and we stayed in a Hilton or a Hyatt. Um, you're still going to have that in Houston, but there's no flavor or punch or party or glow stick or anything to it. Well, the one thing I'd say about Arizona, anytime you go to Arizona, the party is there. It's just in Scottsdale. The the, the stadium is out by itself in, oh, a, gosh. in, a, in a completely antiseptic now, shopping mall that never really turned yep. into what they thought it was going to be. But the party's in Scottsdale. There is a party me? there, I assure you, to be had. You, I'm like you, Chuck. I love Houston. I wasn't born there, but I love Houston as a city to visit. I have a lot of fun there. But it is so decentralized. The fact that you can go... From the Woodlands area, it's an hour and a half to get to the other side of Houston. No, there, there's and not that that central area where everybody gets together. No, that's and the problem. The culture there is no. What is it in Nashville? Second Avenue or in Austin? It's Sixth Street. It's Broadway in in uh, in, in Nashville. Okay, Denver. You have what is it? Sixteenth Street, the outdoor mall. Yeah, Sixteenth Street Mall. Yep. Just all kind of like everybody's got something. Houston, great vittles, <laughs> great music. Um, you can have a good time there. If the event is good, and so you, I think you needed the punch there, and so they lose as well. Um, why did Alabama lose? This is the tough reflection on everything about the SEC this year. And I, and I, I drilled down, I distilled it for you, that last night, in the moment, all the naysayers were wrong. Because we got great, competitive, awesome games. And we got two undefeateds in the national title game. Um, why did Alabama lose in particular? This is the more stark reality. The SEC was a really, really good conference this year. The SEC is supposed to have at least a couple of great teams in it. And the SEC didn't have a single dominant, uh-oh, we got them sort of team. They didn't have a Did Michigan look like they had just spent three weeks uh, believing they couldn't win? Did Michigan look at all like they just, for three weeks, they were intimidated? Not to me. They out-physicaled Alabama. They really did. Even Jaden Roberts, who I was like, I, there was one play I was like, I know what I'd do. I'd run the ball, and I'd go behind 77, and they did. And I was like, oh, it's third and nine now. Um, and there was an issue that Alabama never fixed for real all season long, and that is the one issue that you cannot you can't even – it's hard to even limit it. I've said before, if, if I get down to my third quarterback, do you know what I still can do with my third quarterback? Not when we get to, like, Maryland about 10 years ago, and I'm talking pre-COVID stuff. Um, they had to play a linebacker at quarterback one year, and they were just trying to snap the ball, run some single-wing stuff. And we saw Syracuse kind of get there this year. Even if I get down to my third quarterback, I can coach around his limitations. I swear I can. It's not going to be uber productive, but I can function. Even with my third guy, if he's limited, I can coach around those limitations. If we don't pass block, I can't do anything about that. I, re I can't help you. 
I can I can mitigate it a little bit. All right, let's roll him out. Um, I can't bootleg him because if we're not blocking, you know what bootleg is? I turn my back and then all of a sudden spin right into somebody. Like, I can't do that. So when you don't pass block, folks, my as the coach, my hands are up, and I'm like, we should have done a better job in recruiting in February and then in off-season conditioning, and then coaching them in spring, and then in August deciding the starting five, and then how we rep them in the season. Like, all of these things we could have done in advance because you know the one thing you can't do at halftime? Fix your offensive line. No, you can't, Chuck. And, and it wasn't just that. It was also the snapping issues. It, one of the things you've got to be able to do is reliably snap the ball. And Alabama, this was not a one-game fluke. This wasn't somebody woke up with a numb hand. This was this way two to three bad snaps every game. They have more yesterday. But, Chuck, I mean, you, you, to your point, what you're talking about with the way that teams used to be physically intimidated by Alabama. So you come out at the start of the game. At halftime, these are the stats. Michigan, seven tackles for loss, five sacks. Alabama, zero tackles for loss, zero sacks. I mean, Michigan absolutely physically set a tone that Alabama did not match until the second half. And by then, any intimidation factor you used to have is long gone. Even including running contributions from quarterbacks. And both teams, they love to run the ball and they love to include the quarterback. You have to throw the football to succeed. In fact, we saw that with Alabama. They had a little bit with Jason the first half, a little bit with Milrow in the first half. They didn't anything going with the passing game. Um, so the second point I was going to get to was that uh, yes, a season-long issue with the snaps. We saw that against Auburn. They actually replayed that stuff. We saw that against Middle Tennessee State in the opener. And so everything about the offensive line, that is the bigger point, the takeaway here that I'm making, is it was an offensive line. That is the one issue that you cannot coach around. So that is from week one. Till literally the final snap of the game last night. That was an issue that Alabama never was able to fully correct. Um, So part of it was Jalen. Part of it was the snaps. Part of it was the left tackle being a freshman. Part of it was a lot of stuff. But Alabama's offensive line not being able to get really to even, I'll say, consistently above average spot. Um it was one of the more surprising things all season long. And I always ask this, no matter who it is or whatever the sport is, doesn't matter. Why did our season end? Alabama season ended because they never got their offensive line right. Um, all of the aspects of that included. So there you go from last night. A lot more to talk about. Going to take a break. Uh, jump into it next. to Southern Sports Today and the Chuck Oliver Show. Some of the things were things that he's done back in his career, you know, in the offense. And, um, um, I, you know, saw some, I think a lot of them were designed to not have him carry it, but knowing that that option could possibly exist against certain looks. And, um, you know, you put the, the ball in the hands of uh, your, the best player in the country, in my mind, you know, and um, you get you get good uh, production and good things happening. So proud of him. Kalen DeBoer, UW head coach. Do we realize how bad they were just a couple of seasons ago? I don't mean, well, just kind of floating along. What was it that the uh, the A&M 
athletic director said after the they put 51 I think it was on Mississippi State and he said I sat there up until the early hours of the morning just staring at things and I realized it's like we're not going anywhere we're just average folks Washington was not average (laughs) Washington was like a lot a lot of bad and couldn't score and were dysfunctional and there's a chance did one of the coaches swing at one of the other coaches I don't remember that, but Jimmy Lake. Oh, no, that's right. You're right. Jimmy Lake. Yeah, because he he got physical. I'd forgotten about that. Uh, Because, yeah, because that's why he got bounced halfway through the season. It was a year and a half in. And remember, this was supposed to be the smooth handoff from Chris Peterson to the beloved defensive coordinator, Jimmy Lake, and it turned into an absolute disaster. They had years of advance warning for this. They knew when they got Chris Peterson that it wasn't going to be forever and ever amen. Um, So it just was... I'm in UW is a really, really good program. We don't pay attention to it the way we do with USC when they don't succeed. But um, outside of the Pete Carroll thing, which was substantial, um, UW has been a really proud and achieving program. And even they got a natty back in, was it 91? Maybe they got part of it. So that's it. That's where they were. Just awful. 14 and 0. 14 and 0. And there are still folks who, like, going into the game last night, Quinn Ewers, and I said this back in August, he was my number one player that I was excited to watch play. And there are certain Saturdays where, like, Percy Harvin, I don't, if you're old, and I don't know if you're old enough, how old would you have to be to not remember Percy Harvin? Hopper, how old are you? I'm 26. Do you remember watching specifically? Do you remember really watching Percy Harvin? I do. I remember... One of the Florida games, I think against Tennessee, him catching a, a, a ball on the sideline and just booking it downfield. Always looked like he had, you know, he was playing against children. I've said this, like the senior who wanders onto the middle school field. And it's like, oh, that guy. Except it was the Tennessee game, for instance, or the Oklahoma game for a national championship. Um, there are players that you watch that you're like, I remember Chris Johnson at East, East Carolina. I was actually doing a game up there, and I'm like, who's that? And I looked down, and I was like, this is the guy that we watched on – boy, he's fast in person. Um, exciting folks to watch. I thought it was Quinn Ewers, just a rocket arm and a good personality, and I had all the stories about cutting my hair and time to grow up and be a man, and something about the Apostle Paul and his letter to the Corinthians. Uh, so he went through all of that, man, and he was serious about it. I couldn't wait to see Quinn Ewers. Michael Penix Jr. led the NCAA in passing yards last year. And his OC looked at Alabama and Nick Saban and said, no, I think I want to stay up here for one more year. Do you know why he would do that? Because he had this quarterback. He knew what he had. I'm telling you, Ryan Grubb, he did everything except take out ad space to say Michael Penix is the best quarterback in the game. He did everything except that. And so just a fabulous season, and they went again last night. He did some stuff on the ground. And that's not, by the way, the, the, it was a little bit of contribution on the ground, a couple of big runs, but not insignificant. Heath, he's got two ripped, or he's had two ACL surgeries, right? One on each knee? Yeah, and, and it's interesting you mentioned that, Chuck. His longest run of the year had been 11 yards. Yep. They called three runs yeah, for did. him in the first half, design runs that it was really clear Texas was not ready for. Yep. Three for 31 is not going to blow you away on the stat sheet, but the timing of those runs and you showed made a it, giant difference. And they had to account for it the rest of the game. Absolutely true. No, it was it was very clever 
uh, what they did with him. And, uh, again, just a, a fantastic job of coaching by that team all, all the way through to take advantage of some of the stuff like that. I want to go back to the, the Bama game for a second, though, Chuck. What, you haven't talked as much. You talked about the line, and, and you talked about other things, but you haven't talked about the final play. Uh, I have seen several different interpretations of what that final play was supposed to be. Everybody agrees what it was not supposed to be, courtesy of the low snap, was yep. Milrow basically diving headfirst into the line with no chance of making it happen. It's also worth noting the right tackle got blown up on the play, so maybe it doesn't work even if the snap is clean. But I'm, I'm curious what your interpretation is of what you think they were trying to do there. When you have a two-point conversion that you have to hit on or a fourth down like that, especially down close. Um, out in the field, it's a little different to have like a fourth and two or a fourth and three. If I'm getting to the edge in a win-lose situation, that's exactly what it is. I'm getting my dual-threat quarterback to the edge. That is what I want to do. He has to have an option of some sort. This was – there is no way that was the Notre Dame box, a direct snap from 1952. There was no way that that was the plan. Because if you look to the left, there are two blockers out there. The back is going in motion. It sure looks like it was an RPO to try and get it out to the back if you think it's there, and if not, take it yourself. It has to be that. And, and if the snap is clean – then maybe you could take it in underneath him. It's just amazing. The thing I thought was fascinating is that you wonder if Burton doesn't get hurt, does that change things? Because Burton gets hurt, leaves the field, so you're probably your best receiver that you're most confident in. Is and off physical the field. is all get out down there when the hand fighting in the corner. Yeah, so he, he's off the field on the play, and you've just got this situation where uh, you've been losing on the line way too often, and then you lose one more time in a critical spot. But it feels... Uh, what I'm seeing a lot of today is Tommy Reese, you moron. Well, look, I'm not going to tell you Tommy Reese did a great job with that game, especially in the first half. Some of the decision-making was not good at all. But at the same time, I, I think some people are, are making it seem like that's what he wanted was just a straight-ahead dive run. No. And, and Saban himself even said, too, you know, Michigan called timeout on the first time. He said the first time he liked the look, that whatever they were going to call, they liked the look they'd gotten from Michigan. It, then Michigan called timeout. And it, then the second time they called timeout because they didn't like the look they got from Michigan, and you wind up with that. I just, I just think it's funny how people oversimplify things. I don't think there's any chance that that final play was anything close to what it looked. What it looked like was not anything close to what it was supposed to be. No, I think what happened is there was another challenged snap back to a kid who ultimately, I mean, Jalen Milrow, I, he didn't get spooked in the moment. Um, he still only started about 13, 14 games. And so... As soon as it's the bad snap, what happened every other time except this season with Jalen Milrow in his life when there was a bad snap? He would pick it up and just plow forward and he'd get a first down. Like, that's kind of hard to unlearn as a, I don't want to say a panic, but an in-the-moment response of, oh, I've got to scoop it up. I'm just going to get what I can, except in that down-distance score-to-go situation. Um, I think that's what happened with Jalen Milrow. Uh, on that play I don't think that there was any design that we're just gonna muscle up on these guys and move them 10 feet and get our quarterback into the end zone on this play is this the year you want to grow your business do you want to expand your team build a new office hey it's tug and I want to tell you about first liberty building and loan Aren't you exhausted by going to lenders, building a relationship, and a week later, you're dealing with a new person? 
You won't have to with First Liberty Building and Loan. The Frost family has been helping businesses grow since the 90s, and they can help you too. They know the patterns, they know the ebbs and flows, and they know business. Now the Frost family wants to know you. FirstLibertyGA.com. Buying a building, building a building, buying a franchise, or expanding. Reach out and spend 10 minutes with them. See if you're a fit for them and if they're a fit for you. FirstLibertyGA.com. By the way, if you're a young banker and you want to work with a team that's faith-friendly with a culture of excellence, First Liberty might be a good match. Reach out to First Liberty Building and Loan at FirstLibertyGA.com. That's FirstLibertyGA.com. It's always college football time in the South. Now back to more of the king of college football, Chuck Oliver, on Southern Sports Today. Tuesday on the Chuck Oliver Show, the first Tuesday of the entire year. Appreciate everybody coming here for your college football conversation. Been doing it for, gosh, about nine and a half years, so thank you all for that. So, before we went away for the break and before the games yesterday, obviously, um, giving Nick Saban a lot of credit that said turns out that maybe the greatest of all time. He does know a little either – more about college football than we do uh or he just kind of in general knows what he's doing and i'm talking specifically the hires of tommy reese and kevin Steele, his coordinators in the offseason um he's nick saban he doesn't normally have to get in line did for ryan grubb doesn't normally have to get in line doesn't normally have to take the consolation prize and that's how we all wanted to characterize this well now that the full book of work has been written for that edition of alabama the 23 team want to welcome on right now because it is tuesday and we're going to start there from cfb matrix it is dave bartu dave welcome back first visit of the year how are you friend brother chuck happy new year sir i appreciate you coming on today let's start with nick saban uh, his hiring in the offseason that it was certainly characterized as consolation prizes or how can you be so underwhelming, et cetera, that you hired a guy that Mario looked at and went, mm, sure. Uh, tell me what you think this season was for Tommy Reese first and then Kevin Steele. How did the hires turn out to be? Uh, kind of what we expected, right? I mean, I, I, I somewhat remember talking about this on your show way back when, when it happened, and – you know, and, and 25,000 foot level for anybody who's who's new to the show is, you know, the, on the, the money-making side of what I do is is privately consulting for staff building for college football coaches. And so with Tommy Reese, you know, he, he he's graded in our system just like the other 1,100 offensive coordinators in the system. And this is a three-and-a-half-star guy. And, and it just was – it was a slight upgrade, in our opinion, from Bill O'Brien. Slight. Um, but still, going into that football game yesterday, the lowest-graded unit, offense and defensive unit in that football game yesterday, was the Alabama offense. So, And, and by the numbers, it was the least efficient offense that Nick has had since year one. So, you know, I mean, he, he did some good things with a, with a, you know, basically a first-year quarterback. You know, didn't have a veteran. Um, but when it came right down to it, we got three-and-a-half-star results with five-star talent. And there really shouldn't be any shock there uh, in terms of what 
what ended up being on the field for 14 games for Alabama. When it comes to the offensive line, I don't know if you want to drill down maybe even just with career dossier and et cetera, but they've had, I mean, some high profile. Like Doug Marone was there for, what, one or two years? Um, truth is, the past couple of three seasons, I've looked at the Bama, and everybody has. The opponent has on Sunday night, and the coaches filmed going, hmm, we got an opportunity. Everybody's looked at the Alabama offensive line and gone, they're gettable. Uh, and it was the biggest reason last night that it went sideways on them. Um, just give me what you can tell right now from from their offensive line, whether it's recruiting, whether it's coaching, whether it's retention, whether it's portal, whether it's injuries, whether I, they don't recruit if you weigh more than 330 or less than 295. I mean, whatever it is, there's something. It ain't the same anymore. Well, I, I think there's for, – for Alabama – um, and I think this is for a lot of programs right now, is uh, the two things that we are seeing that are leveling the playing field. Uh, one of them is coaching, what we do. We are seeing more head coaches, more GMs, more chief of staff paying attention to the coaching analytics. And it is leveling the playing field for creating staffs. But the secondary part is also the transfer portal. Guys that would normally sit maybe aren't sitting for a shot to go start somewhere else. So I think with your Georgias and your Alabamas and your Ohio States and your, your elite recruiters, they're still getting those guys, but they're losing the depth they used to have. So, and, and I think there has, there has to do something with 2020. Um, you got a lot of super senior quarterbacks getting a six year. Uh, we're seeing a lot of guys playing that are veterans that normally wouldn't be on the field. So I, I think that impacted this year as well. But going forward, um, you know, one of the biggest levelers of the playing field just might be that transfer portal, and it's very difficult for these elite recruiters to keep that depth around. All right, well, let's flip it around then and talk about Michigan because I think most of us found out, first of all, that Jim Harbaugh wasn't really calling all the plays and in full control and everything. It was the Penn State game before most of us ever realized there was somebody with a play sheet. Um, tell me what you think about him. Tell me about Mentor. Tell me about that staff because, I mean, there was nothing, not one element of flukish last night. That was a physical, well-prepared, confident team that even took an early punch and didn't really stay down. No, no, and and realistically, if they play flawless, unsloppy football, if they don't turn it over, that's not even a football game, is it? Really? I mean, I think the two touchdowns Alabama got were on a incredibly short field. Yeah, I was stunned at halftime. I was like, does Alabama realize the opportunity they have right now, given how poorly they've played in comparison to Michigan? Yeah, it it was amazing. And then it was 20 to 13, and I'm just going, wow. Wow. You know, you know, Alabama was literally playing Kirk Ferentz one-on-one football yeah. field positions, no mistakes. Let the other team make the mistakes. I mean, it was it was the anatomy of an upset. It's how it's done. Is you don't take the game, you let the other team fall apart. And I, I think you know, I'm not an X's and O's guys, but what I was watching, I'm like, shoot, Michigan should be controlling this game, and they're not because of a couple of turnovers. Um, but you know, coming into that football game, look the. Jim Harbaugh was is graded a top ten head coach before the season even started. Mentor is a four and a half star defensive coordinator. He's absolutely outstanding. Uh, you got a really good running back coach there. You got a great DB coach uh, at Michigan. You have a lot of. I mean, the entire staff was top ten in the, the country coming in. In fact, Washington was top ten. Texas was top ten. Alabama was top ten. Michigan was top ten. Not in recruiting. 
in coaching, in our grades. So these were all really well-coached teams overall. Um, Michigan, that defensive line, wow, that was there, there was a period there. I was, I was, it, it felt like uh, you know Steve Entman and Lawyer Malloy was just. I mean, it was just a, <laughs> it was just an absolute uh, amazing pass rush there. So with Michigan, the, the staffing, uh, what you were just touching on there, yeah, these guys at every position they have talent uh, on the coaching staff. All right, if we look at the uh, continuum with Dave Bartu, he is college football matrix. I say CFB matrix. Dave, before the next question, I'm going to ask you about the Washington staff. Um, just throw yourself a bone. Tell everybody what it is you really do and who hires you and how they can get in touch with you. Oh, well, we, we staff college football. That's what we do. Uh, a lot of people focus on on-field analytics. We focus on the off-field. Um, and most of that is comprised with, with staffing and we've been doing it since 2010 we have over 16,000 guys that are graded so when I get a call from a head coach or a text from a GM or a chief of staff uh, anybody that has to do with on and off field staffing that's what we're that's what we're here for is our goal is creating the best staffing possible for our client programs all right. I always look at co-coordinators, uh, co offense or defense, and mm -hmm. I know sometimes run game coordinator and you know, it's what you specialize in. Whatever. I need one guy calling the plays. I need like one voice. Um, but and as long as I've got that, you can call people whatever they want. William Inge and Chuck Morrell. I mean, if they were in a police lineup right now, most folks couldn't pick them out. Um, right. How did they get hired? Was it the previous relationship? Uh, and, like, you've got to be on somebody else's uh, radar right now. But these two guys, pretty anonymous. Yeah, very, very anonymous. Um, I, I remember going through, at the end of the season, we went through the report card for that staff. And it is a, it's an extremely impressive staff. Even with the loss of Eric Schmidt to San Diego State, that was their um, outside edge guy and special teams coordinator, uh, this is a very, very complete staff that, uh, as you'd mentioned, is, is really off the radar. I think even Ryan Grubb, even with the – he got paid $2 million to stay at Washington, and with his career grade, his calculated value was 2.4. I mean, he's <laughs> – the guy is worth every penny of it, and, and I think that uh, – I think a lot of people took notice of him when Alabama and Nick was trying to get him, I don't think people realize the career this guy's really had. This is a top five offensive coordinator in college football before this season. I think a lot of people know a little bit more about him right now, but this is a, an extremely good staff, and there's a lot of young guys on there. But um, Inge and uh, what, was you, what, was, what, was, what was the name oh, of Morrell. Morrell, that's right. I keep, you, you said Doug Marone earlier, and that just keeps popping up in my head. But um, absolutely outstanding staff. And, and on top of that, you got a top 10 head coach in DeBoer. Um, it, it's, it's only off the radar because I think it's West Coast. I think it's Washington. Yep. Yep. And people haven't been paying attention to it. Yeah, Ryan Grove. Why do we need that guy? No, Nick Saban really wanted him. Um, all right. I want to ask you about two names. And it's interesting because Sarkeesian, when I use that phrase, he's got stink on him. Uh, it could be for any reason. It could be personal <laughs> conduct. It could be, I mean, like Les Miles and Rich Rodriguez, they had stink on him. Tosh Lupoy, different reasons, had some stink on him. Um, I think Steve Sarkeesian, he's a guy that looked at Bo Davis and Kyle Flood 
And he was like, I, I remember somebody in Tuscaloosa saying we should have just taken away his covered parking. Like he's a great recruiter. He's a great technical coach he, with the game plan, like everything. But he lied to Saban about cheating. He cheated just a little bit and then lied about it. So he had to go. I was like, yeah, come up with an alternative discipline. Don't fire him. Um, but Bo Davis and Kyle Flood, Flood for a different reason. They had some stink on him. Sarkeesian, I think, is particularly aligned and, you know, to giving a guy a second chance maybe. Tell me about Bo Davis and Kyle Flood, the, the, the coaches. Well, with, with, with Flood, uh, a lot of people go online and go, oh, he's the offensive coordinator in title. Yeah. He's not calling the plays. I mean, we saw it a hundred times last night. Yes, he had his little play call right there, right? And and seasonally play caller uh, in his his own right as well. But um, Flood, look, that Texas staff is also extremely good. But I would, on paper, and and understand that our grading is about the results on the field. That mm-hmm. has nothing to do with recruiting. It has nothing to do with staffing. You know, Kyle Flood may be an awesome recruiter. But when you look at that whole staff, he kind of stands out as one of the weaker links in terms of his overall grade as a coach. Uh, if you said, hey, you know, where are the weak links on these staffs? Um, I, I know he's a veteran, but uh, the numbers say that's a weak link there. You know, Bo Davis, um, now he just, where did he just, like, he just landed at uh, LSU. Yep. Right? Yep. Yep. So, you know, so that's that's an upgrade from where they were last year. In fact, uh, last year there was a you know unforeseen circumstances, personal health, this, that, and the other. Um, but certainly that is an upgrade at that position. But as we've talked about, I'm still concerned. House is at LSU. House has the same grade for his career as Alex Grinch, calling plays for the same number of years. I'm not certain how much LSU is going to improve from a coaching standpoint until a change is made there. The talent's there. But I don't know about the coaching on the defensive side still. Interesting. Uh, could I ask you about Kwiatkowski? Oh, love Pete Kwiatkowski. Um, top 20 defensive coordinator uh, in college football for his career. Hasn't really been able to get full traction at Texas like I expected, the, the numbers he put up at Boise, the numbers he put up with Washington and Chris Peterson uh, were nothing short of remarkable. Uh, in fact, that was the best unit this year for Texas as well. Uh, but there's just something, I don't know if it's the head coaching or what, um, but just hasn't been able to get traction yet. But uh, Texas isn't going to make a change there because I don't think there's anybody better out there for them to upgrade to at all. All right, we're going to take a quick break. Come back into a more with my man, Dave Bartu. That's next. Now back to the Chuck Oliver Show on Southern Sports Today. Tuesday on the Chuck Oliver Show, and you know what that means. We are talking to Dave Bartu. He is CFB Matrix. Appreciate him making some time today. Dave, um, just a quick look towards the national championship game. Um, again, Washington and Michigan, the two undefeateds there. Um, all the hiring has kind of been done at this point, and I was mentioning a, a situation earlier in the program where 
Uh, Scott Frost, I believe he and it was seven assistants. I think they coached that game in Atlanta against Auburn and then moved full-time to Lincoln. And they'd already been recruiting and all that. Um, where is the variance when a – because all the hiring has been done now, uh, I believe, for programs. Um, where is the variance on programs either having the, the, the ability, the hammer, to be insist you come now or the coach having that ability to push back and say, no, I am going to stay with my team? I mean, there has to be – everybody wants totally different things there. Yeah, I, mean, I think it uh, – I mean, obviously it's situational. Right, and, and I think it depends on the uh, the head coach, the need, the clout of the school. Uh, look at uh, what we mentioned before, uh, Eric Schmidt. He's going to become the defensive coordinator at San Diego State, but he stayed at Washington uh, the entire time yep. to prep them for the playoff game and is going to be there through the national title game. But that's San Diego State. That's not... Kirby Smart, that's not Nick Saban, that's not Ryan Day, or you know any of these other guys in big programs. I think there's a pretty good correlation between um, the amount of money you're getting paid, yeah. <laughs> the job, and the program uh, in terms of you get to stick around or you don't. Uh, I think it's much more likely that a <clears throat> lesser program is going to allow that versus uh, a big guy that well always gets their way. All right, so I mentioned uh, before you came on, I was talking with Heath about Michael Penix Jr., for instance, and mm-hmm. the unbelievable resume and the two years leading the uh, NCAA in passing yards and the clutch plays, just everything about him uh, versus what he was as a freshman uh, before any of the injuries, which is highlight film, but a lot of turnovers. Uh, totally different kid now. Um, when you in particular, because we talk about how you're involved in personnel and widget allocation, you've said specifically you've been contracted by NFL teams specifically to talk about quarterbacks before the NFL draft. Um, yep. Do you leave their risk level, threat level, the threshold that they're comfortable with as far as the medical quote, the past injuries, because he's had two, I think he's had one ACL injury on both his knees, on each of his knees. So um, do you leave however risk averse the organization is, or do you include that as a factor in the, the pie graph? We don't. We don't include that as a factor in the pie graph, but um, is and from a personal opinion, right? Um, injuries are a red flag, certainly, especially at the NFL level. Um, and, and if you track guys where they've been hurt in high school, where they've been hurt in college, these things tend to follow them because injuries uh, are exacerbated at the NFL level. So we wouldn't have an opinion on it. But I dare say, um, if he'd been 100% healthy the last six years, people probably have a different opinion on him. Yeah. I mean, he's probably, he's probably what, number two number two behind Williams? You know, and I would just like to say he carried his teams a whole lot more than Williams has ever carried them. I know Williams is an unbelievable talent, running talent, arm talent, football everything talent, but there is there is a non-numerical no, yeah, it, there's a term out there, and I just can't put my finger on it, but Penix has carried the bags for Washington, and Williams never really elevated USC at all. Yeah, it's funny you brought that word up because there's a phrase that I wrote down about two years with you ago before draft, 
and you said, look, historically, co- uh, quarterbacks who elevate their program, and we talked about Aaron Rodgers at Cal, top five mm-hmm. program, talked about Big Ben. They had Miami of Ohio, number nine in America. Um, elevate the program, and my gosh, even – and I was talking about – I was pimping UW to start the program. I was like, they've always been a really good, proud, consistent program, and I was – the point to all that was – and then a couple of years ago, they were bad, bad – and now they're 14 and 0. Um, he's elevated that program, which never should have been at the Jimmy Lake's depths to begin with. But that has become my biggest. Just comment on that. We got about a minute and a half left um, oh, because that has I mean, been my biggest variable. Did you elevate your college program? Yep, that's a, that's one of the first two things I look at. Right, experience and elevating the program. Don't forget, he elevated Indiana for a year too. He did. Right? You know, I mean, I'll, okay, I'll say it. I'll take Panics over Williams. There, I did it. All right? Um, because Williams hasn't elevated anything, you know? And I'm going to look at USC. They were 7-5 and five this year, man. I know they had a bad defense, but they didn't elevate it. Um, but there's a lot of quarterbacks out there that elevated their programs. Look what Bo Nix has done at, at Oregon. Uh, look what the Pratt kid did at Tulane. Right. Look at look at all of these programs that had years way above expectations. I think this is a golden year for the NFL quarterback draft. You can absolutely gold. You can always tell that. I mean, when Ryan Day looks at his starting quarterback of an 11 and one team and says, why don't you find somewhere else? Um, (laughs) I mean, there is this thing that's it's nonspecific. So when you do things like sell information, it's hard to list this. But, Dave, there, there's an it factor. You look at a QB and you're like, he's got it or he doesn't. He can do a lot of other things, strong arm, run fast, 6'5", all this. But either you do what a quarterback does, which is say, damn it, we're not losing today, or, or you just don't. So, And then and, and there's no column. There's no number for Dave Bartu to assign to that. Um, so you got to leave that to others, I guess. Uh, Dave, I appreciate you coming on. And again, tell everybody quickly how to get in touch with you. Uh, the, on Twitter, DM, CFP Matrix, and the cell line, 971-217-8419. Brother, do it again in seven days, all right? Later. Day bar two, he is caught. There's something about it, man. He's got it. What? You know, he's a quarterback. He's got it. Is this the year you want to grow your business? Do you want to expand your team? Build a new office? Hey, it's Tug, and I want to tell you about First Liberty Building and Loan. Aren't you exhausted by going to lenders, building a relationship, and a week later, you're dealing with a new person? You won't have to with First Liberty Building and Loan. The Frost family has been helping businesses grow since the 90s, and they can help you too. They know the patterns, they know the ebbs and flows, and they know business. Now the Frost family wants to know you. FirstLibertyGA.com. Buying a building, building a building, buying a franchise, or expanding. Reach out and spend 10 minutes with them. See if you're a fit for them and if they're a fit for you. FirstLibertyGA.com. By the way, if you're a young banker and you want to work with a team that's faith-friendly with a culture of excellence, First Liberty might be a good match. Reach out to First Liberty Building and Loan at FirstLibertyGA.com. That's FirstLibertyGA.com. 